You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Uh, we talked a little bit about the NBA Finals. We're in the heart of it right now. We're three games in now, and Denver's up 2-1. Uh, they won game three last night in case, uh, I don't know, you've been sleeping under a rock or really don't care about the NBA. But uh, it's it's been a, a pretty good series so far. I know we talked about it last week, and, you know, the cliche comes up, announcers use it. We talked about it. You know, it's a make-or-miss league, and it seemed like, Miami's getting shots, and when they make them, they won. You know, game one, Denver played great. Maybe not great. They played well enough to win, and it was a decent margin. Obviously, they they outclassed them. But Miami, I mean, they got what they wanted offensively. They just weren't making any shots. So game two comes along and you see what happens when they start making shots. It's a tighter game, closer game. They take the lead at the end. They, you know, they kind of faltered as at the end of the game. Uh, Murray had that three to try to tie it at the end and they missed. And there you go. Make or miss. And it's a whole different ball game. So and then last night, just, you know, Jokic and Murray, these are the two best players in the in the finals. They're on the same team. And they both go for a triple-double in the same game of a final. I mean, history is being written. I mean, Jokic now has three 30-point triple-doubles in the NBA playoffs. And I think the only other two guys that have one are Wilt and Kareem. So here we are. And Jokic, this kid, I don't know if you guys ever look at the – the meme or the gif of him as a, as a kid, probably about 50 pounds overweight. And it's like, okay, this is the face of the NBA. This is the best player in the NBA. But uh, I don't know, Alex. So I mean, what, what do you think so far? Or what, uh, what kind of comment you have so far on the, on the, uh, well, Murray broke out in a major way in game three. And it seems like in game one and two, the heat strategy was basically this. We know Jokic is going to score. We know he's going to get his, we want to stop Jamal Murray. And I thought that was the strategy in the first and the second game. And it was an effective strategy. In game three, Murray was just red hot. I mean, the fact that he scored 34 points and had 10 and 10, 10 rebounds and 10 assists. I mean, that's the guy that they need to be able to shut down because they realize they don't have an answer for Jokic. Nobody has an answer for Jokic. By the way, do you think he's the best European big man that you have seen in the NBA? Well, yes. I mean, he, he, he has to be at this point because of what, I mean, what his accomplishments have been. If he wins this ring now, forget it. It's, you know, it, it's, and the crazy. reason why I throw we this at about, you, because we talked, we talked about Sabonis so much. Now, obviously he, when he came here, he was so much older. Maybe it would have been a contest if he would have come here, maybe after two or three years of playing in Spain. And then he played the bulk of his career in the NBA. Maybe it'd be a different story, but I don't, is I, he better? Yeah. I mean, he, he is he, he better than Powell? Go ahead. Powell Gasol. I think so. I mean, just over what he does from a playmaking standpoint, we talked about the, going into the series. You know what you're going to get from him. He never – it doesn't seem like he ever makes the wrong play. 
whether it's, you know, assisting to his teammates, making the right pass, even if it's not the first pass out of a double team, he makes the right pass to get to the next, that the next guy gets the assist. Uh, When he has an open shot, it's usually going down. I mean, he doesn't miss anything inside of 15 feet. The touch he has on his shot is one of the more remarkable things you'll ever see. He, there was one in particular that they showed last night that if he gets, if he just gets the ball on the rim, it seems like more often than not, it goes in. So that means it's got the proper spin. It's got the proper touch on it. And the one that they showed, I mean, they, from behind the goal, I mean, this is like behind the backboard. You can see through it, obviously, but it's like the ball like hits the side of the rim, but somehow crawls over and falls in. And not to say that all his shots do that, but it's so, it's just amazing to me. All right. And I was thinking about this last night, watching him play. It's almost like when you were little kids and in the, in the driveway and somebody's dad comes out to play, it doesn't look tremendous. You know, the, the, the old man playing, he, it's, he's not real fast, but he just like drilling shots, you know, passing to the right guy, you know, everything. And he just doesn't look like he's in any hurry. Uh, he, since he lost weight, you know, he looks more athletic, but he still doesn't look very athletic. The shot looks kind of weird, but the release is so pure. The spin is the right way. The trajectory of the ball. I mean, it's just as he gathers and shoots it, it doesn't it doesn't look pretty. So you're not going to have a bunch of kids thinking, wow, this is the best player. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have, you know, some thunderous slam dunk over somebody or it, but at the end of the day, he does exactly what the team needs to win. And more often than not, the numbers are just staggering the way the games play now for him to be getting double digit rebounds, sometimes 20 rebounds plus in a game, which you rarely see anymore. And the assists and everything else, I, Alex, I don't know. There really isn't an argument anymore. This is the guy. I mean, he's and you look at now, I mean, arguably, I guess the best three players in the league in Jokic and Luka and Giannis, none of them born in the United States. I don't know what that says, but uh, it says something. I'll never put Luka as in the big man category. No, but I'm just saying as far as the best players right now in the NBA, you'd have to say now, again, Steph's got to be up there. LeBron's still up there. But, you know, three of maybe the top five, they're not from the United States. It's interesting that you say that Jokic is you're making a case that he's better than Giannis. I mean, no, 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 no. not at all. Not I don't I think he's a different player. Again, it's it it's so nuanced because. I think Giannis, talent-wise, can do more things athletically. But in terms of just playing the game and what he means to his team, Jokic, you'd have to take him above Giannis. Yes. So if that's better than yeah. Well, I mean, both guys are, are young. Giannis and uh, Jokic are actually the same age. They're both 28. Yeah. So oh, yeah. they're here to stay. You know, Luka is 24. So I think he's... Luca is probably the closest thing that we've seen since like Larry Bird or something like that in, in regard of making shots and what he does. But 
you know, he needs to win. I, I think that's probably the major thing. But I agree with you. I mean, Jokic, yeah. you made a case for it. Jokic always seems to make the right play. He is probably the best pure passer as a big man. And, you know, he does so many things. I mean, on the court. We were always amazed, like, with Shaq, right, when he got 35 and 18. And that was, like, that was a regular night for him. That was easy when he was, like, with the Lakers. Uh, But when you look at Giannis and he's putting up, like, 30, 20, and 10, that's crazy in the playoffs, low. I mean, in the regular season, it's one thing against, you know, some Charlotte team or something like that, like lowly Hornets. But when you're doing it in the NBA Finals, I mean, that says something. We're used to a big man getting 25 and 20, but we're not used to seeing a big man have 10 or 15 assists. I mean, that's on another level. Yeah, I mean, the numbers he's putting up, and again, like you said, this is in the playoffs now i mean the talk was well yeah during the regular season and you know you've got these compilers no man yeah you watch and i don't know if it's you know as you you know i think that the older fans probably have more of appreciation for what he does because i think again it's not flashy it's not you know making spectacular plays but it's always the right play and i would imagine and any I'm sure all the NBA coaches are watching the finals. If their guards can make entry passes into the post the way he does, they would sign up for that yesterday. I mean, just he, the accuracy, the pace, everything is there. Like I said, his game is so nuanced and so layered that you can't, I can't remember through this playoff run when he had an off game. He's he's had a good game, great game, spectacular game, all the way through. So and and I think again last week we talked about it. I mean, you know what you're getting out of Jokic. It was going to be okay. Can Murray be consistent and 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 just be a, a scorer, facilitate whatever it is? But they're getting those two in that in that two man action, the the pick and high pick and roll, spacing the floor, and Miami doesn't really have an answer for it. Uh, we talked about them playing a lot of zone, and it's probably been their most effective defense, which you know maybe surprised us a little bit. But it's still not like you're going to shut them down. It's just okay. Let's slow them down. Let's make them use like half the shot clock. Maybe they don't get the open look they're looking for, and and we'll we'll mess them up. And they did to some degree. And there's stretches of that where Denver struggles, and especially in game two. But uh, at the end of the day, if those two guys just do their thing, if just one other player kind of steps up, and I don't even know who that player would have been last night. I guess Aaron Gordon, yeah, because he's just been, he's been very consistent. He just doesn't really get the ball a lot. But uh, yeah, that's when they're on. They they're certainly you can see they're the best team. They're the better team here. It's just a matter if Miami is hitting those outside shots, they're going to be in the game to the end just because of the way they play. So uh, it's it's I hope it's a fascinating series going forward. You could see Denver just win winning the next two games and that's it. But uh, hopefully Miami can win uh, next game and, and see where this goes. So 
Another big story outside outside of uh, the NFL, but I think this this could have NFL ripple effects moving forward. Now, I'm not a huge golf fan. I'll watch the the major tournaments and so forth. But you know, a year ago, a couple of years ago, whatever, this whole Live Golf Tour came up, and uh, the Saudis are behind it. The PIF fund, you know, you can say whatever you want, but it's basically Saudi money, and the PGA, Jay Monahan comes out and says, you know, this is awful. We're not, you know, if, if you take their money, you can't play in our events. I mean, it was just, and they went overboard. And basically, I think what that showed you is they were kind of afraid of this, that model where we're going to pay our stars outside of prize money. We're going to change up the game a little bit, the team concept, all that. That's fine. And I'm not going to get into that. But now all of a sudden there's a takeover and you can say what you want about merger, whatever. There's always and companies do this all the time. There's definitely a takeover. You've got one entity that is pretty much the sole investor in in the thing. And maybe there is a board and they, they can vote. But the bottom line is all the money's coming from one faction. They own this. So now they own golf. And I guess I would draw on Alex's expertise here as far as being maybe a little bit more globally uh, cognizant, if you would, of the of the sporting life and the sporting teams and everything else. But it seems to me that a ton of EPL teams are owned by Middle Eastern interests. Uh, I know you pay special attention like to in the Russian leagues and some of and some of the other uh, Eastern European leagues. Is that the case in, in those in those areas too? Because that's really something I pay attention to. No, usually they've just invaded the the English Premier League uh, because that's that's where the best clubs are. Uh, they were able to more valuable more valuable properties. Absolutely, right? they're yeah. able to drive huge salaries and attract you know world class players to England. And that wasn't the case like ten years ago. Ten years ago, I would say the the better leagues were Italy and Spain. That's where the money was. That's where the the better players wanted to play. And then all of a sudden, once the Saudis took over a few major clubs, you know, a lot of money was obviously inflicted there. I mean, obviously, a lot of money came in, and the British, the English Premier League has become the the source of entertainment in the last five or seven years because it seems like all the best players, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Spanish or Dutch or French or, you know, Italian, they all seem to merge and want to play in, in the English league. And a lot of it has to do with money. A lot of it has to do with the TV contracts because... They show them everywhere. I mean, that's the top league right now by far. It has exceeded the Italian league. And it has exceeded, you know, the German league. It has exceeded the Spanish league. And the competition is great because in the English Premier League, you have about like five or seven teams that are competing for the championship. You can't say the same things in, in the other leagues. So... Yeah, I mean, th- from the global standpoint, as far as this merger, I think it will elevate like the golf globally because it will give it new resources to expand its its fan base. And 
it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing just because I think gol golf in general is going to become more popular outside of the U.S. If you're living in the U.S., that's one thing. But outside of the U.S., I wouldn't say that golf is, is very popular, Lou. So here's the thing. So, I mean, it's the, the ripple effect. And I guess the tie in here would be, okay, when does the PIF fund or some other you know, Saudi interest, I mean, I'm sure they've already looked at it, but start looking towards the NFL. The other behemoth league that just you know, rakes in money left and right, uh, you know, Goodell and that, and, and the group, they've been very outspoken and very uh, obvious about their wanting to globalize the game. Uh, they're talking perhaps a team moving to London or to Frankfurt or Munich or something. Well, wait a second. We, we can't just have a team. Maybe we have a division over there with four teams, you know, four American teams. Well, how long before the Saudis come calling and put up just some ridiculous amounts of money, whether it be an expansion or, or even buying existing teams and saying, yeah, we'll move this team over here, whatever. And that particular owner is being offered some, you know, like, I don't know what the the Washington team is going for just over six billion. They're throwing around money like it's nothing. You know, hey, they offer somebody ten billion for their for their franchise, and they will, well, I can't turn that down. Now, again, the the entire league, the ownership has to approve it. But I guess I guess this looks like where we're heading. That if they are really this serious about again ownership in major sports leagues obviously the epl being i don't know if it's right behind the nfl or maybe they're a little bit more valuable but the nfl's right there so that's that's a pretty interesting thing that they're going to have to consider at some point because everybody's just kind of up in arms of where this money's coming from and i i don't know i mean all the major sponsors do business over there the U.S. government does business with the Saudis, so I don't know. I mean, what, can you can you really turn them down? I I think it's right? very real because the NFL has expressed their willingness to expand the the sport outside of the U.S. They've spoken at length about possibly having a team in London, and that's where the Saudis have very good business with the English Premier League. So. Uh, they have obviously played many games there over and over again, and they continue to play two or three games per year in England. I would say it's very real because somebody, if you're going to like have a team in London, like get an expansion team out there, like a 33rd team, I think it's it's a possibility that it will be an owner outside of the US. I'm not talking about only the Saudis or something like that. Could be somebody else and and somebody might have a stake in the middle, middle Eastern countries as well. So, I think it's very real. It, it's it's only a matter of time. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but I think in the next 5 no, years, but I think in the next 5 years, it's a real possibility. Money talks. Uh, the NFL wants it. I guess it's just a matter of, you know, will they feel comfortable? Again, will the ownership vote for it? Right. And usually it's like you get, they have to get like 24 owners to vote. Yeah. Whatever. Once they like 
go through and vet the prospective owners. And that's kind of the process that Josh Harris is going through now with the NFL. And it looks like it's that, that's just going to go right through. But now all of a sudden, you know, they're doing their forensic accounting where where's this money coming from? If, uh, you know, somebody from the Middle East is is doing the bidding, then it's going to be hey, money talks. OK, I mean, that at the end of the day, I mean, Rory turned them down. Uh, I think Ricky Fowler and you're talking like eight, nine figures, um, just a just a jump to their league, if you will. And that doesn't, you don't have to win anything. It's just, we're going to give you this money. Uh, Phil took it, you know, I mean, Tiger turned them down, but you know, Tiger's not hurting for cash and he probably doesn't want to play that much or do the travel. But uh, anyway, another international superstar did turn down some Saudi Saudi uh, money and is coming to the MLS. So I don't know. What did you think of that, Alex? At first, I was very shocked, uh, to be honest with you, because when I realized that PSG, uh, the French team, Paris Saint-Germain, wasn't going to extend Messi, I thought he was going to head to Barcelona because that's where he grew up. They nurtured him. They turned him into this star. He played for them almost I don't know, 20 years of his existence uh, before he made the move to to France. I was, I'm not saying I'm surprised that he turned down the Saudi money. And he, he didn't follow in Ronaldo's footsteps, but... I don't want, I don't mean to interrupt, but it was $1.6 billion for three years. Messi isn't hurting... Bill. Messi isn't hurting for cash. Okay, that's not. No, his but problem. just just to put it in just to put it in context, how many people would be in a position to say, "Nah, I'm good." I think he made the move that probably makes the most sense to him over the long haul. There are a couple of points here to to consider. Uh, Pele went to play for a New York team back in the '70s. Okay, David Beckham came to the MLS. When he was still, you know, he wasn't like an old man. He made the move in 2007. Uh, Zlatan, uh, he played in the MLS for a couple of years for LA Galaxy. He had success there before he left to Italy. So Messi isn't the first player to make this move. I think he's still in his prime. I, I think he sees the ability to promote soccer inside of the U.S., he sees that maybe he can be a big promoter where other players will follow suit and not necessarily players that are in their 40s. Players that are probably in their 30s might want to play for him or increase the attention of the sport in the U.S. I think it's a real possibility. I remember MLS uh, you know, having like 14, 16 teams. Now it has 29, Lou, and it's going to have 30 by the end of next year. So 30 teams, that that's real serious out there so uh, mls is continuing to expand getting more uh, you know teams on board and promoting the sport plus the world cup is going to be in 2026 in the u.s canada and mexico but mainly it's going to be in the united states and i think messi still wants to play in the world cup and he knows that he if he's the biggest star there for mls the argentina is going to bring him along to, to another World Cup, you know, at the age of, what, 37 or 38. So I think there's, and there's also, you we talked about this off the air, you mentioned that he's going to get a cut of the TV money. 
So that's almost on par with the Saudis, I'm sure, when it's all said and done in the contract. And another point is he's going to get part ownership of the team once he retires. He's going to get a discount like David Beckham with the Miami team. So I just think Messi is a businessman now. He sees this as the, the platform for the future because he can't play forever. So he sees MLS as, as a great partner for him. So I, I would say this is, this is the right move for him. At first, I was shocked. But now I, you know, after weighing all these things, I mean, I can understand why he made this move. Yeah, so I guess it's just a matter of time before, you know, maybe Ronaldo sees the light. Um, and I, obviously, he, he got a, a bunch of money to play in the in this in Saudi Arabia, and I'm sure he'll be there for a couple of years. But again, like to your point, I mean, these guys at the end of their career, they can continue to, I mean, increase their visibility, if you would, especially in the United States, where we kind of know the names. We just don't see, you know, maybe you only see, pay attention during the World Cup. You don't watch them really play for their clubs. So, I, you know, and then going back, you mentioned a few names, but also I think Wayne Rooney did for, for a short time. But again, he was at nearly at the end of his career. I don't even know how many games he played. Thierry Henry, I think, played for one of the New York teams for a while. So uh, hopefully, you know, start getting some of these guys younger and elevate the, I guess, the, uh, uh, the level of play in the MLS because it is growing like crazy. All these communities, all these cities, you know, they're not building these cavernous stadiums that are going to be empty, you know, maybe 15, 20, 30,000 seat stadiums. And then maybe, you know, as time goes on, those numbers will rise, but you know, for the time being, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting to see it here in the U S all right. Hey, let's talk some football. What do you, what do you think? Let's do it. We're 20, 28 minutes or whatever. <laughs> let's, let's get some football here. All right. Another story that came out, and it was just interesting to me, and I, I don't know how much time we'll spend on it, but supposedly uh, before last season, before Russ got traded, there was a deal in place for him, or at least a deal discussed between the Eagles and the Seahawks, and I believe the teams had actually agreed to it and I don't know all the terms or anything like that, but, you know, Russ was going to Philadelphia, but, you know, he had right of first refusal or he could refuse any trade. And he did, which I don't know, in hindsight, looks a little strange because it's like, well, wait a second. So obviously they weren't completely sold on Jalen Hurts. And here he's sitting one year later with a $250 million deal. Russ goes to denver and completely craps the bed i mean it, so it just looks so ridiculous now but at the time you're thinking what was russ thinking because you know philadelphia you know up and coming team whatever i so one of the old sayings in sports a lot of times is some of the best trades uh are the ones that you don't make and philadelphia i'm sure is thanking their lucky stars and Russ is probably thinking eh, that might have been OK. I don't know. I mean, what do you make of this? I mean, it, it I'm pretty sure this is this is this is an accurate report. It was a real report. Nobody came out and refuted it. So I got to believe it's true. Uh, did Russ screw up here? I don't know. What do you think? It's interesting. I, I based on based on the story and what you and I have read. He didn't only turn down the Eagles, he turned down the Commanders too. I can understand him turning down Washington, but 
I can't understand him turning down Philadelphia. That's just a mess of a franchise, yeah, from that Yeah, point, the fact know. that... Yeah, I think the, the Eagles had pretty much everything he needed, right? Offensive line, weapons. They had all the pieces. I mean, they certainly had more pieces than, than the Seahawks, and we saw them make that Super Bowl run last year. Uh, obviously, they, they were the best team out of the NFC, and it's interesting that the Seahawks were... You know, shopping Russ to get a younger version of Wilson and Jalen Hurts. And, you know, some... That would have been the other piece of it. How would Hurts have become this player in Seattle? Yeah, we we would never know. We would never know, obviously, an answer to that question. But we do know that Hurts turned out to be a much better quarterback than I think anybody anticipated. Even the Eagles, right? Because they were shopping him at the Combine before this, you know, obviously the season started. And I'm sure the Eagles are happy after watching Russ struggle with the Denver Broncos and and being, you know, a little bit out of shape, a little bit overweight and not playing as well as he did with the Seahawks. So it's interesting. I I don't know. I, I always feel like if you're able to go to a team that's really close to being a Super Bowl contender and you can help them take them, you know, to over the top and I thought Russ would be able to do that with the Eagles I mean you wouldn't turn down that offer I mean I can understand him wanting to play like in LA in New York but he went to Denver hello he went to Denver so he turned down Philadelphia to go to the Broncos it's not like it's it's a huge market or something like that I mean I don't know I mean Philadelphia is a sports town I would want to play quarterback in Philadelphia they're rough they're tough but hey, you can, you know, you can reach a pedestal, you know, people and fans and the media in Philadelphia can really appreciate you if you're a good player. They can elevate you. They can certainly tear you down as well, but they can really elevate you to another level because before that, Russell Wilson was playing for the Seahawks. It's the Seahawks for God's sake. Philadelphia is a sports town. So I'm I'm shocked that you know, it seems like he turned if he'd, it down. If he'd have played, if he would have played like he played in Denver, in Philadelphia, they they would have they would have run him out of town. I think. I the only thing I can that only comes to mind as far as Russ is thinking here, perhaps, is that he was going to go to Denver and kind of just set the tone because they were so so desperate and 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 it's been so long since they were were relevant and had like a real quarterback like the whole thing with him having his own office and and just really being almost like being ordained the king before he even played there where in philadelphia he wasn't going to get any of that i mean he you got to come in you got to prove it that you're the guy here uh not that they were that everybody was completely sold on jalen hurts obviously they weren't But here you got a guy that's, you know, just his his mentality is just to like work his ass off. And if he would have went to Seattle and played the way he did for Seattle, I think it would have been, you know, much worse. And where you go to Denver, well, Drew Locke probably wasn't going to do much in, in Seattle right away anyway. He probably was shocked that he wasn't the starter over Geno. But I think, again, from Russ's perspective, I just think it was like this coronation that he was going to Denver. Everything's going to work out. We're going to, you know, we're going to run through this. But, you know, to go to the AFC instead of the NFC, you know, just the way that it 
the balance of power, if you will, and just the the quarterback power in the AFC versus the NFC. Again, from that perspective, I guess you applaud him to take that challenge, but I don't think that was the, what he was thinking. He was thinking, I'm going to, you know, this team, I'm going to own this town. Whereas if you went to Philadelphia, just no matter how well he played, yes, he would be kind of, he would be elevated, like you said, but I don't think it would be as much of him being the savior of the franchise. Whereas in Denver, if he would have balled out, yeah, that would have been it. He, this, this is a John Elway. Now Russ, let's go. Well, Peyton for a little bit, but anyway, yeah, that's just Russ. And I thought that was pretty interesting. A couple of running backs out there right now that, um, still looking for jobs. Um, uh, especially, well, we got Zeke one, not necessarily looking for a job, but just kind of being cast aside. Dalvin cook in Minnesota, uh, signed an extension a couple of years ago, I think around the same time and Alvin Kamara and, and McCaffrey did. And that really, those extensions for the running backs really haven't panned out very well for the team uh, that, that did the extension, but you know, it's not like Dalvin cook is an old dude or that he, his play has fallen off. So the money, I don't know what else is going on, but they put out, I don't know if this is from Minnesota, not being able to work out a deal yet. They put it out there now that he is being released, almost like Arizona did. No official transaction yet. Basically, I think what they're saying is, hey, we're going to release him. So if you want him, come and you know, give us something and you can have him. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to go through this, you know, go through trying trying to do something or trying to woo him to your team. We can just make the trade and he's yours. More than likely that's not going to happen. So I this one's a little bit of a head scratcher. Right? Alexander Madison, God bless him, but you know, Dalvin Cook still I think he's got a lot of tread left on the tire. Um yeah, Denver, Miami, I don't what are you thinking of? It's interesting that nobody traded for Dalvin Cook uh, during the the trade uh, during the NFL draft. I just thought somebody would possibly give up a day three pick and, you know, a fifth or a sixth round pick to kind of take them off the Miami, the Minnesota Vikings books. It seems like the Vikings were trying to shop Cook for a while. Okay, that's it's been the rumor. It's been out there for a long, long time. Surprising that they were no takers. Um, I think the two teams in the AFC East must be interested have to be interested in him. And I'm talking about the Buffalo Bills, where his younger brother supposed to be the lead back in 2023. But I'm not sure I would be comfortable with James Cook as my lead back if I were the Buffalo Bills. I would bring in Dalvin Cook. He's he's a dual threat. He can help you out of the backfield as a receiver. Even, you know, you can balance it out a little bit. He doesn't have to be the lead back in the main back. I mean, Buffalo Bills split carries anyway also the miami dolphins you know the dolphins have mustard but they don't have anybody else they are excited about that rookie out of texas a&m but if you can get dalvin cook in that offense with mike mcdaniel i mean you can turn him into like a christian mccaffrey type of guy next season they don't have to sign him for a big you know to a big deal could be like a year one year two year deal Bring him in there. He can make Miami real lethal. With Jalen Waddell, Tyree Kill, and then you have like a healthy Dalvin Cook. 
and then you've got Mostert kind of around the goal line. Man, Miami Dolphins are are going to be lethal with if Tua can stay healthy. Yeah, and that that's the bottom line. But I mean, as far as a trio with receivers and running back, I mean, you got to throw that right up there with any other trio in the league. And I I would be hard pressed to find a better one. Uh, meaning with Hill, Waddle, and then the running back uh, Dalvin Cook. You know, speed wise, playmaking wise, uh, what you know, what kind of stress you're going to put on the other team's defense, and how they're going to have to you know play, and, and how they're going to decide you know which you know which guys they're going to slant their defense to. So, and they get, but the bottom line is, like you said, Alex, that's the most important thing I think we can say is that it all depends on Tua, and uh, you know, a year ago. We wouldn't have been saying it. a year ago. We were saying, is he really a guy? Is he this guy that you want to build around? And I think the answer is still no. But he did show that when he is healthy, he can be very effective and, you know, get this get this team in position to win games. I mean, hell, they almost won a playoff game in Buffalo uh, you know, without him. And they're playing a, a rookie, the fifth round rookie from Kansas Skyler State. Thompson. So. Right. So, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, you, you hope that everything, all the steps that he's taken in the off season, all the steps that the team is going to take will keep him away out of harm's way. But again, it's when you're talking about head injuries, it, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the hardest hit or, or whatever. It's just, if and a certain way your head's hitting the turf it's just uh, not good but in terms of you know the skill position yeah i mean most are i don't know did they bring back jeffrey wilson yeah they have wilson I mean, they, they, uh, they have wilson under contract and, and they and you said they drafted devin a chain from from a and m which which again is probably the i think the fastest running back coming out uh or right one top two or three for sure from the combine so uh yeah that could that could be very interesting for the dolphins in that division uh now another running back that i get is a completely different situation a little bit older a little bit less tread left on the tire here uh and maybe you're thinking not so much ezekiel elliott um i think other teams have talked to him i think other he is you know talk to other teams about potential roles. I think the Eagles kicked the tires a little bit. The Bengals may have. Um, at the end of the day, you know, for my money, his best move would be to just stay right there in Dallas if they'll have him, uh, use him you know, as kind of a change of change of pace guy from Tony Pollard if Pollard is healthy. Zeke's not going to be a 15 or 20 carry guy anymore. Maybe you give him 10 carries goal line, red zone a little bit, you know, some different things that they're going to do. And I think the way McCarthy's going to call the game is you're going to see a lot more runs. So I, for my money, that's, I think that's his best option. Now he's not going to be for much money, but you know, he'll, he'll stay in Dallas. He'll still you know be that locker room presence, help Tony Pollard, the rest of the offense. I mean, he's a smart guy, great in pass pro, great in short yardage. So if he just wants to extend his career and keep playing, then I think Dallas is the place. I don't know. I'm going to throw a couple of other teams that I think seem like good fits where, um, you know, he can get some playing time and he can get significant carries. I would say the Bucks. The Bucks have Chase Edmonds and they have White, Rashad White, who was a rookie last year. 
I think Zeke can get, you know, goal line carries. He can help him in pass protection. He has his former running backs coach um, in Tampa. Uh, he was he was his skip skip Pete. He was his running backs coach with the Dallas Cowboys. So that seems like a good fit. I'll also say the Chargers. The Chargers are still shopping or going to release Austin Eckler. I would say Elliott's ability in pass blocking could help Justin Herbert. And it's another, his former offensive coordinator with the Cowboys, Kellen Moore. So I'm just making that connection. I think the Chargers and the Bucks would be ideal fits for him because he can he can help you out in a number of ways. Again, Elliott is a very good pass-blocking running back. And I think he can definitely help on those third downs. He can help you, you know, in the goal line as well. Get some touchdowns. Get those tough yards, you know, in third and short situations. I don't see a reunion with the Dallas Cowboys, honestly. A lot of people have been saying it. I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, again, it depends, you know, if the is he if you look at it, I guess, from an emotional standpoint and so forth, I could see him kind of being hurt, if you would. But from a business perspective and just being just still having that uh, place in a locker room. And if he just kind of puts the emotions aside, I think. I, again, to me, in my opinion, that would be his his best opportunity uh, to I mean, to, to really rate, I guess, not resurrect his career, but just, I guess, to extend it, if you would. All right. We talked about earlier with uh, with Jalen Hurts kind of breaking out between year two and year three, uh, looking at some younger quarterbacks that perhaps we may see a similar, not necessarily between two and three, but just kind of elevating their game beyond where they've been. Uh, you know, who's go- who are we going to see kind of make that next step? Uh, I came up with three guys that I think will, and they're all kind of in different situations, okay? You've got, uh, I've got Justin Fields for one that has kind of been thrown out there and okay, we don't have such a great offensive line. We don't have a lot of offensive weapons, but let's go out there and see what you can do. And you know, he ran for over a thousand yards. Uh, now, again, is that sustainable? Absolutely not. Do they want him doing that? I don't think so. But I think that you know, adding DJ Moore, some of the other weapons they've added, bolstering the offensive line, he has a real opportunity that. If he has it within him to become a better passer, I think he's going to have an opportunity to do it. And especially in this division where now you, Aaron Rodgers is gone, uh, the dean of quarterbacks in, in the division is Kirk Cousins. You've got Jared Goff, who are you know guys both more than capable quarterbacks. Very good. Not great, but very good quarterbacks. So you got an opportunity here to seize the division. The next guy, similar situation. Now, he's following Aaron Rodgers. He hasn't played yet. He's been kind of, you know, maybe nurtured and and they're bringing him along. And, you know, he's played behind a a great quarterback, or at least he's practiced behind a great quarterback. And I guess the the upshot of Aaron not doing offseason stuff in Green Bay was – Jordan Love was getting all those snaps, all those reps. 
He just hasn't played yet. We have no idea what the hell to expect from this dude. But again, he has an opportunity to say, hey, here I am. And again, this, the division is sort of up for grabs. The third guy, and I think from from this perspective is, he, yeah, he just got a big deal, but he's nowhere near being a great player. He got paid just because that's what the market is. And I'm talking about Daniel Jones. Played a lot better last year. Statistically, eh, you know, it was less, I mean, below average. I mean, I don't know if he, he threw for 20 touchdowns. He ran for almost as many as he threw for. Didn't turn it over as much. But now a second year with Dable, opportunity to really bust out. They got him some more weapons. Again, offensive line a little bit better. Saquon will be there. Not really happy with the, the franchise tag, but I think he's going to play, try to ball out, try to get a decent deal next year. But I think those are the three guys that I came up with that really have an opportunity to take a step forward. But each of them are in a, in a much different situation, varying situations where, you know, again, Fields, the young guy that got thrown out there, Love really hasn't played. And Daniel Jones, who has been playing and not that great, but seems to be improving and has a coach that is a little bit of a track record. So those are my three guys. I like the Daniel Jones pick. I really do. Just because I think he's on the right team with the right coach, uh, the coaching staff that knows how to develop quarterbacks. And I think he's just, he's, I think he's going to get better this year. He's going to tell, you know, he's going to let the Giants organization and the fans know that he is the right quarterback for the future. Um, I knew you were going to go with Jordan Love, and I can't, <laughs> I'm not on board with that. I'm just not. Uh, I'll keep that to myself. You know, I'm going to go with Bryce Young, uh, the number one overall pick. I realize that rookie struggle, but I think he's in a good situation. Just knowing that I think he's got a better offensive line. He's got Miles Sanders, who is no slouch himself. He's got a very good defense. I mean, what Carolina showed last year in the second half of the season, I think it's going to continue. And I just think Bryce Young is going to take care of the ball, spread the ball around, and will be very effective. He's not going to put up like huge numbers, but I think he's going to make good decisions and possibly win that division. Um, I'm also going to go with another quarterback in the NFC South, a second-year quarterback. I'm going to go with Desmond Ritter. I'm just a believer in Arthur Smith and what he was able to do for Ryan Tannehill with the Titans. I think Desmond Ritter is in a similar situation because he's got the tight end in Kyle Pitts. He's got B. John Robinson as his running back. He's going to be that lead horse. Desmond Ritter doesn't have to be the guy. All he has to do is kind of take care of the ball, make good decisions, be effective on play-action passes. I think he can do that. And it's the same situation like with the Giants. Dable had a positive effect on Daniel Jones. I think Arthur Smith is going to rub off some positive effect on Desmond Ritter in his second year. He is their quarterback of the future. They said that he is going to be their starting guy in 2023. I'm a, I'm a believer that he's in the right situation. The Falcons defense isn't as good as the, the Panthers defense, but they've got a lot of weapons for Ritter to be successful. So I'm going with Ritter and Bryce Young, and I'm on board with Daniel Jones. I, 
I back, you know, everything that you said about him. Just don't want to repeat myself, but he was also, uh, you know, a third quarterback on my list as well. Yeah, I mean, Jones, uh, he's just kind of uh, still a little bit of an enigma. I think maybe just because he's not very outspoken, uh, you know, some might say, well, he really hasn't had much to, you know, really much to talk about because of all, all the, you know, I guess the negative plays that he's been responsible for more so than the, the positive plays or, or great plays that he's made for the team. But I think the Giants are in a real nice position to, to, to make a little move in this in this division because, uh, you know, Dallas is you don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know what McCarthy's going to do for this offense. Uh, offense wasn't their problem defense i think that's where you know it could be pretty special with gilmore coming over and so forth but i think the giants are, are well placed i mean if you're looking at a young team that's ascending and then to throw that guy in there that he just got the deal and i think he's like the type of kid that the money isn't going to be like oh geez i guess i've arrived i'm the guy i think it's going to be more of a motivator for him just to really prove to everybody that the giants were right to get to get him that money and that he wasn't just some guy that right place at the right time so that that's that's what i like about jones's situation the other two guys again it's um they they got to prove it i mean i think both of them will have every opportunity uh to show what they can do they've got pieces around them it's just really a matter can they be consistent can they you know make plays or like give their playmakers a chance to do it you know in, in fields's case because we've already seen it uh, a lot of times he would just rely on his legs and i think you know to stand up for him a little bit is I don't know that he really had much opportunities or he, he felt more comfortable that he could make the play with his legs versus the guy at the other end of his pass, catching the ball and making a play themselves. Love, again, this is just, just a wide-open unknown, right? I mean, we just don't know. That little bit that he showed in Philadelphia when, when uh, Aaron Rodgers went out, yeah, he looked really smooth, whatever. They didn't really prepare for him, so you don't know what you're going to get, but – I'm going to stand behind these guys. I like your list too, Alex. I think we we got uh, you know, maybe five guys total that uh, that we got to watch. I don't know fantasy wise if you want to throw them on your fantasy team, but certainly they'll be interesting to watch. And, and there is um, a story on ESPN today that the Carolina Panthers have elevated rookie Bryce Young to the number one quarterback spot. So that's wow in OTAs. They haven't even done. I, I don't know that they've had their mandatory mini camp. Just yet. two weeks, right? They've had two weeks to look at him. It's the the voluntary off season workouts, and he seems like it seems like he has outplayed Andy Dalton. And Frank Reich said that this is the next step. We had a couple of weeks to watch these guys, and we feel like Bryce Young is uh, is on you know on on board to become a week one starter. So that that bodes well for the number one pick. Well, you know, just from his, his days at Alabama, that the kid was going to come in prepared. He wasn't going to, you know, I don't think the stage is going to be too big for him. And I think he just had, I think, in retrospect now, he just had to prove that to them, that once he got on the field, got in the huddle, was able to, you know, I, I mean, it, and again, it just sounds so simple, but I think a lot of those things kind of, you know, they matter. I mean, a guy that can come in, command the huddle, 
that can look at these guys, spit out the play, get it in. Now, again, they're not playing against any, like, defense. Uh, the guys are out there, but there's no hitting or anything like that. But I think just showing them that he understood the playbook, understands what they needed from him, where he, where to go with the ball, all that stuff, he showed them, and it was just kind of a – we're not going to hand it to you right away, but you got to show us something. And that makes sense. And it makes sense to the, the veterans out there too. They want to see somebody earn it. If you would now, again, it seemed awfully quick, but, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm just really interesting to see how they play because that was one of those teams last year where it just seemed like if they could just get some consistent quarterback play that, even though that division was so horrible, they could have won it. I mean, they were right there. If they beat Tampa in that game, if they would have, you know, not turned it over a few times, I mean, that that could have been them in the playoffs. So that I like to see that. Uh, the other thing is, and again, no knock against Bryce, but if you, you watch some of the footage that they would show, like on SportsCenter or, or Total Access on NFL Network, it looked like somebody brought their younger like their kid to, to practice. <laughs> I mean, he is just. I don't know. The helmet was made him without the pads. The helmet looked huge, and he looked short, small, and it just. But hey, he's a he's an elastic guy. He, he can make space for himself, and God bless him. I, I'm I'm just all in on on uh, the Panthers there uh, making a run at that division for Steve sure. Steve Young, Lou. I mean, there are Drew Brees. There are some outliers in this world. And they do turn out to be great players. I, I hope he's one of those outliers. But based on the information that has come out from the Carolina Panthers, it seems like all the veterans are kind of on board with Bryce Young. They respect him. They realize that he's got a, a high IQ, that he's able to absorb that, that tough playbook that Frank Reich throws at him. And it seems like he's handled himself like a pro since day one. Sounds like Peyton Manning, in a way, obviously different quarterbacks. Peyton was, you know, he had the size, uh, but I think Bryce would be should be successful based on everything that's coming out. Hopefully, he's going to be able to hold up and and be durable. I think that's the number one question mark. All right, very good. So Friday night we've got Game Four, the NBA Finals. Uh, again, Denver's up to one. Uh, hopefully Miami can make it a series here. Win, go back to Denver, uh, tied at two, two, but again, bottom line is Miami hits their shots. They're going to be in it. Uh, but you know, in two games that they haven't, you see the result. And again, it, it was just kind of hard to watch last night. Denver did a good job of running them off the three, the three ball but they were getting in the paint and missing a ton of shots. Jimmy Butler was very aggressive, scored a bunch of points, but there was he left a lot on the court. So hopefully, you know, that bodes well if they make those shots in game four. So for Alex, I'm Lou as always. Till next week. Peace.